I kind of gravitated towards a little bit of the proactive dope chasing work. That was definitely what I enjoyed. Uh, not to say that call answering isn't important. I just didn't really like having to go and deal with other people's drama. I guess I just much found my time best served uh, going and finding felons and guns and dope and taking the people that are harming everyone in the community out of the community. I just remember shaking, picking up the mic, and I'm like, oh man, here we go. Like, I don't know what these next, what's about to happen, I don't know. So I just remember putting it out. I just need the helicopter up, obviously, because this is about to get wild. So, ironically, it didn't really get too wild, unfortunately or fortunately. Slow speed chase, from my recollection, he went down Lamar that eventually pushes you out onto 310 or the highway there. I guess he exited, I remember, on Overton because by the time we finally got down to like 3550 East Overton, so just to kind of set the scene, it obviously started out with just myself and Johnny Walker, so two squad cars in this chase, and before it was over with, I think there was about 100 squad cars. <laughs> To me, it was, I was always okay with the risks of the job. I mean, any police officer that goes through the academy and puts on the uniform and the badge and they go out and answer calls, they all, we all know, we all know what could happen. And anyone that obviously continues to do the job after a while, we accept that, right? I think for me, it was the idea of, I'm okay getting shot in the face, I'm not okay getting shot in the back. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, ATO fans. Our next guest grew up in a very small town of northern Minnesota. His accent is faint, but depending on the word he says, it's quite strong, even despite the fact that he hasn't lived there since 2005. Tom Popkin understands this. He grew up loving hockey and actually played at Hamlin College and graduated with a criminal justice degree. In 2005, he moved to a much warmer, hotter climate and joined the Dallas Police Department. After graduating, he joined God's Country the Southeast Division. The type of work he gravitated to may sound familiar to the listeners. He worked in multiple units after leaving God's country, notably the cream of the crop narcotics unit, the Lab Meth Squad. July 7th, that day left an imprint on Dallas, Texas, and the officers that either wore the Dallas Shield or wore it that day. It probably affected the officers that were not there that day, more than some that were actually there, the guilt. Today's guest began rethinking his future and started plotting a new direction. After 12-plus years, he decided it was time for a change in 2018 and retired from Dallas PD after an amazing career. He and his then-future wife left the blistering summers of Texas and moved to Maui. 
He started a website or blog where he wrote articles about his experiences in law enforcement and reactions to current events as they happen. This blog has evolved and changed over the years and now primarily exists as a Facebook page. It's a big Facebook page. He uses this page to give us a voice to educate not only officers, but also educate the public. He also fundraises on behalf of the profession he loves so much. This is his new service. It's the ATL's great honor to welcome on my dear friend, Chris Wood. Chris, thank you. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, again. Yeah, we were on um, for a message. We're going to get into your Facebook page and people are going to put two and two together and well, some maybe, some may not. Some we have some. I think we have some knuckleheads that listen. I'm just kidding. Love y'all. All right. Before we get into your episode, I have to talk about a prank. Megan Mulvihill, you know her, right? Yes. So, sir. yep. Uh, years ago, I played a prank on her, and she listens to these, and I can already imagine her hearing this right now, and her face getting red to match her hair. So, when the Force Awakens. Uh, Star Wars uh, Force Awakens came out. I told her beforehand that there was a scene after the end of the credits, which anybody that watches any movies these days knows that the the credits, especially a Star Wars movie, can be lengthy. So I forgot I even told her. Well, around nine something one Friday night, I get a text from her, and it said, "Hey, Omefer, I just had to sit through all those credits with four kids that had to pee." And I literally almost hyperventilated laughing, sitting on the couch, because I, I, you know, I forgot about it. Because I imagine her waiting for all these credits, you know, to, to no, 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 I'm telling, no, there's an extra scene. We gotta wait. We gotta wait. Joe said, and the credits roll, the lights come on, and then she's sitting there with a felled smile, and here come the cleanup staff, just kind of milling around. So anyway, that make that gives me a giggle. So. She'll, she's probably going to kick my ass for telling this story, but it's worth it. All right, let's get on with you. <laughs> as you say, shout out to Megan. Yeah, shout out to Megan. That's funny. Let's Punch in your steering wheel as you hear this. Dan thinks it's funny. Dan Dan's just like, you know, he's so laid back. Oh, yeah. He's just like, yeah, she, he got us good. Yeah, you know? That's a typical yeah. Joe King joke right there. Yeah, uh, but, you know, honestly, if she would have said anything to me. It, I would have forgot about it. Oh, but, yeah. But she told on herself. Yeah. I'm glad she did. It still makes me smile. If I'm ever feeling down, I think about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The, you came on before and you talk about your page pretty much. And you kind of stayed, you pretty much stayed anonymous. And now I guess you're going to come out a little bit, so to speak. Yeah. So this is going to be about your life and early life and then DPD life and then what you're doing now. But as with all the guests, I start off kind of. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself. What was it like growing up in in Minnesota? Yeah, so typical uh, small town upbringing. I think um, I was born in the early '80s, so obviously growing up in the late '80s, early '90s, graduated high school in 2001. Um, so I had your your typical uh, small town growing up. Um, I, I'm pre- I'm pretty thankful. I I think of myself as kind of an old school person in the sense that, you know. For us, me growing up, video games were really reserved for bad weather days and when you weren't in the mood to go out and, and play sports or, or what have you. So kick the can and you know, capture the flag and all those different games were things that I grew up playing on a regular basis. So I'm kind of thankful for that. But uh, obviously growing up in Minnesota, a lot of uh, long winters, uh, hockey was a big part of my life naturally. Um, played hockey in college 
as you mentioned. And, um, so that was a big part of my life and, and still kind of is in some way, in some ways, a lot of friendships that have lasted from that. And I still play adult league. If I'm brave enough, I'm getting old now. So, but yeah, yeah. very, very typical, uh, small town growing up in a, in a small town of, uh, you know, what you would expect from that. So just very, uh, typical childhood, quite honestly. Talk about, uh, being a Viking fan. <laughs> yeah, so uh the the town I was born in, the Minnesota Vikings is that's where they have their um training camps, so I grew up going to those with my grandfather, um who's no longer with us, so pretty fond memories there. Um Cowboys fans will be probably remiss to hear that I personally got Herschel Walker's autograph cuz I know that was a big big trade or big big event there. I'm too young to remember, but I just knew that was the autograph I needed to get, right? So um But yeah, so I grew up going to the Minnesota Vikings training camps with my grandpa and obviously Twins games as well. And so, yeah, that's a Vikings fan for life, unfortunately, to the Cowboys people here. I know it's quite the cult. Yeah, well, we were pretty happy to get that Kershaw Walker trade go through. It pretty much made the 90s Cowboys. Is that so? so, Yeah, I'm too young to know what the ramifications were or the context around it. So I'm just going to. No, it's like the big train heist. Honestly, Jimmy Johnson uh, pulled off a deal trading Herschel Walker, who at the time was our best player. Okay. And we made out with all kinds of draft picks and puzzle pieces that ended up turning into three championships. I want to welcome on the great Kent Wolverton. He uh, he actually literally just come from a narcotics warrant. He's going to sit in with us. You make it sound so cool. I really didn't do anything. Yeah, it wasn't well, fun at hey, all. No, no, you. <laughs> it was hot. It's really steamy out there. Yeah, it's it's hot in his office. I might still be moist. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah it, very nipply because you know the chill from the the room. It so. is now hotter in this yeah, office yes. because you just showed up. <laughs> so thanks for that. Very right, good point. You, um, <clears throat> you grew up, you're a hockey fan. So the our great Dallas Stars, they actually started in your hometown. Were you a Minnesota North Star fan? Yeah, that's actually how uh, I, the story has it. Apparently, I was a little Chris, and I saw the Minnesota North Stars on the TV, and I looked at my fam or my mom and dad, and said, "I want to do that." So they're the reason I uh, actually played hockey. Um, I'm a Stars fan to this day. They're currently in the playoffs and doing well, so that's exciting. But uh, a guy from our hometown, Jamie Langenbrunner, actually, his dad was my Pee Wee hockey coach. He was my middle school principal. Um, that kind of deal. So uh, he played for the Dallas Stars. And in fact, two guys from my small hometown in northern Minnesota were on the 99 Stanley Cup winning team of the Dallas Stars. So that's a weird fact. I don't know what the odds are on that, that two guys from my tiny town of 10,000 are on the same NHL team and win a Stanley Cup together. That's pretty pretty interesting. But yeah, so I've, I've grew up being a Stars fan and then ironically moved to Dallas. So it just kind of, that kind of worked out in terms of which sports team I went to go watch. Yeah, so you... You know, you talked about growing up in Minnesota, and you had a criminal justice degree, so you had a interest in law enforcement and criminal justice. So, w- why did you apply for Dallas, and how'd you get down here? Yeah, so my brother actually played junior hockey in Wichita Falls, Texas, for the Rustlers back then. I don't know what they're called now. Um, I think they've changed names, but regardless, I came down. I think it was my junior summer to uh, for spring break, and I just came down to watch my brother play some games and hang out. And it's there that I really just kind of enjoyed Texas. I'd never really been to Texas. I don't believe so. I just realized that I'm a, I like country music. Uh, I obviously was tired of cold weather. So I think I was looking for, you know, junior in college, you start thinking about, okay, what am I going to do when I, re- when I graduate? And, uh, I knew. And so back then, um, Minneapolis and St. Paul police departments would 
basically they would not take you unless you had prior experience. So if you were fresh out of college, never been a police officer before, you really had no chance of being in Minneapolis or St. Paul, especially St. Paul. It's really interesting. So Minneapolis and St. Paul and Dallas and Fort Worth have a lot of similarities. Um, 35, for example, the highway literally starts just up north of my hometown, north of Minneapolis. It literally starts there. And when it goes through Minneapolis and St. Paul, it splits just like it does in Dallas and Fort Worth. 35E goes through St. Paul, 35W goes through Minneapolis, comes back together. So it's almost identical. And interestingly enough, Dallas is more like, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but Dallas, I think at least historically, is a little bit more like Minneapolis PD and St. Paul is a little bit more like Fort Worth. Uh, Fort Worth's a little smaller. St. Paul's a little smaller. They seem to have, I guess, maybe by the law of large numbers, fewer controversial things happening. They tended to have a little bit of higher regard in terms of a uh, reputation St. Paul did. And I think that's kind of similar down here. Don't you agree? I hate yeah, to be, no. you know, trying not to be biased. The Dallas is great, but I think Fort Worth's always kind of been regarded as like the golden child of the Metroplex and they don't have as many incidents and issues. And, and they were cowboy hats. Yeah. And they are, yeah. and they're actually, you know, real Texan. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I lost track. Were we saying St. Paul wears cowboy hats? Or? No, no, no doubt. Oh, okay. Fort no, Worth. Because that would Fort have been Worth. really cool if they did. No. Yeah. yeah they know. wore bowler, bowler caps. Those bowler hats, the... <laughs> The, the big furry yeah, yeah yeah the ones in fargo god the worst movie ever yeah i hate that movie so i mentioned you getting to god's country I, that's okay it's not a bad you don't like that movie that's a, i just think it's a god-awful movie and oh, obviously really? i have that accent that they love to make fun of so it's just yeah it's it cuts not me deep. well they exaggerated it obviously <laughs> for that movie it yeah. was kind of yeah it, it's just the girl. I'm just not into dark. I'm a comedy guy through yeah. and through. Wedding Crashers, old school, or nothing at all for me. Yeah, so. you didn't like the wood chipper. The no, person no. being yeah, put in the wood chipper. And there. I dealt with all that crap as a cop. I don't, you know, I don't yeah. want to see that stuff. So anyway, not too many wood chippers out here in the Grove, though. Oh, there are. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're in the Grove. That's yeah. <laughs> so I mentioned you graduating, you going to God's country. Mm-hmm. Talk about getting out to Southeast and how that was for you. You told me before you actually put in for Southwest, but you ended up going to Southeast and, you know, getting out to Southeast. Talk about the, talk about the pace. I mean, there's so many listeners have heard about it already, but I want to hear your perspective. Yeah. You've worn this God's country Southeast uh, trope. You can never talk about it enough. No, you can't. Yeah. So admittedly, I, uh, when I moved here, I lived over by the horse track in Grand Prairie off Beltline and 30. And I, um, listen to the scanner all the time. And, um, basically I, I think just cause I was closest to it, I listened to channel four back then. So channel seven didn't exist, right? South central. So anyway, long story short, I just, I knew I wanted to, you know, part of why I applied to be a Dallas police officer is cause I didn't want to be a small town police officer. So we kind of diverted from that. So Minneapolis and St. Paul weren't hiring. So I was like, okay, I have no interest whatsoever in being a small town cop. Cause I grew up in a small town and no offense to those. And I actually know I'm good friends with the chief of my hometown right now. Uh, but I, I just didn't want to chase high school kids around and do that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, I come down here and applied. But yeah, so Southeast was my second choice, sadly. I have to admit that. But once I got over there, you know, it's pretty much the, it's obvious that it was the right, um, the, the department actually knew what they were doing for once and they didn't give me what I wanted, you know. Uh, so so t- the great Tom Popkin mentioned something. He he said that he, growing up in Sleepy Eye, Minnesota, Minnesota, he did not want to be a small town cop. He wanted to do, do big city Cop work. Real police work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and here we are, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that's part of it. And, I, and it's funny because I tell people, and this is true, I've written one speeding ticket in my entire career, um, and that was on training. 
right? That's the only way you get off training. You have to do everything once. Um, you know, DWIs, they have their place and obviously they're, you know, they keep people safe and they can save lives, but it just wasn't my thing. Um, I was just, cause that's a big deal up in Minnesota. I think, unfortunately, most people I know back up there, it's like a rite of passage. What, it, what, type, of, what type of work did you like to do? So at Southeast, once I figured out, how, you know, how to remove my head from my backside and, and y'all made sure to keep everybody humble there, especially, I, I it was a tough I, place to come I in as a rookie. I don't know what you mean, sir. Yeah, I know. Wolverton was very welcoming and nice to everybody. So was his partner, uh, uh, your former partner or whatever. We won't go down that No, path, I've had several. You can, you can go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't we haven't brought up Ken Strauss on this podcast yet, have we? Oh, Kenny's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was a very welcoming, uh, huggy, uh, cuddly person. Yeah, so, no, yeah. definitely didn't accuse you of staring at him in the locker room. No, never would, never <laughs> would, uh, or made you feel uncomfortable. So, uh, yeah, once I got to Southeast and kind of figured it out um, and got through training, um, I kind of gravitated towards a little bit of the proactive dope chasing work. That was definitely what I enjoyed. Uh, not to say that call answering isn't important. It just wasn't, I just didn't really like having to go and deal with other people's drama. I guess I just much found my time best served uh, going and finding felons and guns and dope and taking the people that are harming everyone in the community out of the community. Um, and so that was kind of my goal. And it just was fun. It was like a huge, honest game of cat and mouse. What was Southeast to you back then? I mean, like the reputation. I mean, it is, I, I think it's changed over the years and every, every unit, every division is different. But when you got the Southeast, what, what kind of reputation did you, did you think they had as a, as a division? I, I really, truly, I mean, all joking in God's country jokes aside, I really, truly think that back then, and, and this was 2005 when I was a rookie or 2005, 2006, it had the reputation of where officers, if you worked at Southeast, just by naturally how busy it is and everything that you're going to do comparative to other parts of the city on a continued basis, that Southeast officers were squared away. They knew how to handle pretty much anything that came at them. And, and you know, you can say that's because it's South and we're intrinsically what I think it's just a matter of because of how busy we were and you get good at handling that kind of call load and that kind of violence, honestly, is, is the best way to put it because there is no shortage of anything at southeast see i had a different perspective on it it seemed to me like it was a place that almost like a black hole <laughs> as soon as you ended up there you never got to leave like i i can remember the same people being there for years and years and really the only person that got out got in trouble <laughs> which normally if you got in trouble you got sent to southeast yeah so it was almost like that like a punishment mm. to be assigned there but then i won't say his name but somebody got in trouble and got sent out to northwest and then people started moving around a little bit it was really interesting because for the first four or five years of my career nobody got to move you know you'd sign up to go to these different lists at different stations and watches and there was no movement at all it was very static well i think i think we've mentioned before there was a list when you first got to a division when you when you got out training back then and there was a list and you might be on the list for like five years seven years you know because it went by seniority there was no bid like people now they've they don't know any better that that they come on. Well, I'm going to hang out here for for a little bit, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to pick and choose what days off. I may be able to go take a band of friends over to South Central or to Southeast or Northeast, and and get my Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday, or whatever you want off. That shit wasn't happening back then. No, you got a phone call from Mike Dice telling you, "Hey, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Wednesday, Thursday, rookie. What do you want?" Yeah, you hope it wasn't Tuesday, Thursday, or he told you <laughs> it was Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. I love Mike Dice. Um, you know, I got to say that working around, basically working around cops that 
really were not good, instinctively good, or had a knack for the type of proactive policing or just whether it's safety issues or just some people just honestly some people just aren't aren't cut out for certain type of work but working around those folks really made you appreciate the people that were good i mean looking back through the whole career i heard a quote the other day it's like bad ideas exist so good ideas can triumph you know so in that and i think that when, when you're working around really good people and you see it and you notice it and i've worked around both i've worked around some people we all have that like, damn, I wouldn't want to answer a, a loud music call with this person. And <laughs> that's, and that's basically know, all you would do is answer a loud music call. Yeah, with that and person. get the hell out of there as soon as you can. But and then when you and then you have other people you like, I want if I'm going through a door, I want them with me to protect me. In retrospect, there was a lot of guys at Southeast that were like that. And I think that made it very comfortable because you, you saw everybody kind of knew how to handle their stuff. And there were very few that, that were just lazy or didn't do anything. Right. But because you were surrounded by a lot of really good officers, I never appreciated the fact that I was surrounded by good officers. It's kind of the norm. But, I mean, there were there were some really big names there looking back on my career. You right? know? Yeah. And I can say because the bid came out a couple of years after I hired on in 05, so then the, the bid allowed me to eventually. I went to Northeast. Uh, I worked Northwest. And, yeah, it's interesting to see the difference of the officers and the quality of the officer. And obviously we're talking very high-level subjective of what we deem a good officer and what isn't a good officer. Yeah. I guess you could – if all you ever do is answer calls and you never get complained on and you're just polite to everyone, I guess that's a good officer too depending on what you right. want to measure your metrics on. But Yeah, it's 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 your preference. And, and I'm not shitting on everybody, but I'm just saying that – but, but, you know, we all, we all know that there are some officers that – just never really you wouldn't you would not want to be working alongside of them but there's also great officers at every station i mean there's just oh, the, yeah. the legendary guys that you yep. you think of when you think of a, a certain station you know southwest has got a ton of them oh yeah northwest had a, a great group of guys for a long time there i don't i'd have never spent time at northeast i've heard but, of the people yeah you've there, heard of them there are you've, guys that, that were there i mean and you you'd see them at jail and you'd see them here and there and i mean just legendary people in in my span on the on the department but watching the guys that once southeast finally opened up and the way they went you know i mean you had mario gomez darian loera mike yarrick yep scott sayers i mean just huge names on this department that i don't know that everybody knew who they were because i lived in my own little bubble but guys that you looked up to and you were like holy cow you know i mean just all those guys finally took off jark yeah you know just a ton of those guys that were very influential in, in your career that have probably no idea that, that they impacted you the way they did. Maybe they'll know now though. They'll, they'll <laughs> well, yeah. hey, we'll have to edit all those names. Yeah, out. Well, yeah. Well, that was a bunch of beeps, especially Sayers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very true though, because like, you know, I bounced around quite a bit and I worked, you know, operation disruption in a few different uh, places in the department that allowed me to be all over the place. But you know, the Egglestons and the Lance Crawfords. Oh, my and, God. And yeah. those are guys that you know, even though you've never seen them. I mean, I work north or southeast. They work northwest, but I knew who they were. Saw them at jail. You just, yeah. You, and that's what's interesting, too, is you know of other people. Uh, you know, Chris Wagner over at Southwest yes. and his crew. Um, Dave Nevitt and their Larry Coddington. And there's a ton of phenomenal those guys, officers those northeast up at Northeast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every divar- every depart- every division has its its hitter, so to speak. Steve over Fangman, South Central. Yeah, all, oh, I yeah. mean, how many can we name? St. Clair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God, Steve yeah. Steve Uless up at Northeast. Uh, there's just a lot of officers all over. And then, of course, then you go into, like, the divisions, right? Like Sayers and Homicide. And you have your um, people that are just, you know, 
um, pillars of different narcotics. It, it's tough too because as things have evolved, people move around more, and that's good and bad, right? You lose the seniority, but you, you people get more opportunities. But but yeah, anyway. So before we get into you leaving God's country, I want to get into uh, a you know there's there's like a I'm gonna give a little synopsis on a case that happened in it's in 2007. It was an awful crime at the t- uh, uh, that happened that year and um you kind of got caught up in that uh after the offense had happened but i'm going to give a little synopsis of this uh sparks case okay just after midnight on september 15 2007 sparks put his hand over his wife's mouth stabbed her 18 times as she lay in bed in dallas home then one at a time he woke up the stepson's nine-year-old harold 10-year-old raekwon and stabbed them 45 times each, dragging their bodies into the living room and stashing them under a comforter. Next, he went to the girls, raping the 14-year-old stepdaughter on the couch while the sister watched. Afterward, he apologized for the assault and murders. He, he tried to say that the wife was poisoning him, according to the records. So then he went on the run. I want to pick it up, your involvement, because I remember being in that detail as well whenever whenever this, the, the night this happened. I was actually riding with Brad Walker whenever, uh, you know, we were kind of giving out a bolo. And can you kind of explain, just walk the listener to your involvement on when, you know, we all heard about this crime and we were just, everybody was disgusted and, and furious and wanting to find this guy. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of talk about the detail, the description that was given, and then pick it up from there? Yeah, so uh, this actually happened, the actual offense happened on Ezekiel, which was literally a rock's throw behind the uh, substation at Southeast Patrol Division. Um, It's my understanding after this offense occurred, he fled to Austin um, and spent some time down there. And so there was actually a a couple days where no one really knew where he was and there was a manhunt going on. And like you said, uh, at at detail, obviously, this was a pretty big, high-profile deal, so... um, from my recollection, of course, is 2008. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, slept a little. I've bit. slept a few times. Um, he he was down in Austin, and I think we had obviously some some sort of intelligence or information that he was coming back to Dallas, or that was the word. And then um, I forget his name. Um, it was an officer who was really good at car chases, blonde. Um, St. Clair? St. Clair. Steve St. Clair was, he was doing some intelligence stuff. Yeah, he could drive the wheels off of a car, off a squad car. So um, I think he was giving some updates or something to that effect. And uh, all I remember is we went and ate my, so Johnny Walker, got to remember, got to talk about him. That's really his name. His name's Jonathan Walker. He's uh, currently a U.S. Marshal now. So yeah, we uh, walk out of detail, which again, for the listeners, uh, after roll call or whatever, we have detail where obviously we talk about anything that's happened relevant recently that you need to be on the lookout. And so obviously Robert Sparks was quite the uh, uh, horrific crime, as you just (laughs) mentioned. So uh, Johnny Walker comes out of detail and he looks at me and uh, he's like, we're going to catch Robert Sparks today, man. And I'm like, all right. Uh, You know, again, like any good officer, you hope to catch a murderer or, or you would love to have that happen. And so, uh, but at the end of the day, I was being realistic, at least what are the odds, right? It's a needle, literal needle in a haystack. We don't know where this guy is. We have no idea what he's up to, how he's getting around. And the intelligence at that point was 
still pretty sketchy. Like I said, um, I think he ran down to Austin is what we later pieced together. Uh, and then he came back to Dallas. Um, so after apparently we were basically, we cleared detail, Johnny Walker and I, we were in separate squad cars and we ended up eating up in deep Ellum at cafe Brazil. And we were of course listening to the radio of what's going on and some information is sort of coming out about pertaining to Robert Sparks. And uh, as we're sitting there eating, I think it came out that he had robbed, uh, allegedly, of course. Well, actually, it's not alleged anymore. He's actually dead. So yeah, he's, actually, he's, yeah. he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Texas yeah. is taken. Anyway, we gave away the, yeah, weird, right? Um, so the information's coming out that apparently he is robbing or had robbed at gunpoint a uh, guy that he went to prison with who was paralyzed from the, uh, I believe, neck down. So just to kind of lend even more into a look into this guy's uh, integrity and, and what he was, what kind of evil he was, he decides to go rob his buddy who he, um, so his friend was paralyzed that was shot during a robbery that he and, and that individual committed years ago. And so that's how he knew this person. So apparently he shows up and um, Rot takes this uh, van at gunpoint. And so literally coming out over the radio is to be on the lookout for a red Dodge uh, caravan with a wheelchair in the back. Um, after finishing eating, um, and the, the offense where the, the van was taken was from the middle of what is now South Central, but um, it was in the North Oak Cliff part of town. So after eating, Johnny Walker and myself left Cafe Brazil and we parked at, uh, which is... I believe you're going to, it's hard for me. I haven't been a Dallas resident since 2018, but I believe it's Elsie Faye Higgins, which used to be Hatcher. Very, very good. Okay. Look at me. Um, yeah. So we were at Hatcher and basically Lamar, uh, sitting there and I was flipping through my maps go now. And I'm, now I feel like I'm old for sure. Cause now I'm dating myself. So for those that don't know, that's a map that is in a book and it's bad. <laughs> Everyone now uses the digital, uh, squad car maps, I'm sure. But so I'm sitting there looking at where, where this offense happened and Johnny Walker's in his squad car next to me and we're pulled off to the side of the road and we're just kind of looking at the main arteries of the, okay, if he committed this offense and he's leaving, we also knew he had family in South Dallas and that was the word, I think some of the intelligence that had been given out that day in detail or roll call was that he had family and the a word or at least the thought was is he was maybe coming back to um, cause harm or kill some of his family members because this whole heinous offense was predicated on the idea that he was being poisoned by his um ex-wife or or what have you so there was wife that was his whole shtick of why this was going on so the word was that he wanted to come back and maybe seek out those family members because obviously the word you know his face was all over the news um at the end, and at that point um literally just remember looking down at my maps go talking to johnny walker and we we're trying to figure out where we we're going to go what we we're going to do and i look up and southbound on Lamar comes a red Dodge uh, Chrysler Dodge Caravan uh, van with the wheelchair in the back. And Robert Sparks is drinking a beer and just looks over at me. And I look at him and, you know, the typical adrenaline rush and the whole nine kicks in. And, and the chase was on. So. All right. Pick it up. Keep going. Yeah, okay. You're good. <laughs> well, all right. I didn't know if you wanted to no, go from there. No, so. no. Yeah. You So. You try to go light him up or? Yeah. So, I mean, you didn't have a whole lot of, ch I just remember, I think I was three, five, three that day. I don't think we had a cat or had the letter uh, alpha numerics yet, but I just remember shaking, picking up the mic and I'm like, oh man, here we go. Like, I don't know what these next, what's about to happen. I don't know. Um, so I just remember putting it out and just, I remember, you know, 
I just need the helicopter up obviously, cause this is about to get wild. So, um, ironically it didn't really get too wild, unfortunately or fortunately, um, slow speed chase. He, from my recollection, he went down Lamar that eventually pushes you out onto 310 or the highway there. Um, I guess he exited. I remember on Overton because by the time we finally got down to like 3550 East Overton, um, during the chase. And of course, you know, so just to kind of fig- like put, set the scene and obviously started out with just myself and Johnny Walker. So two squad cars in this chase. And before it was over with, I think there was about a hundred squad cars. In this yeah. Chase. I, I was actually part of that. He had a pistol on him. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get to that. Okay. But, okay. But, uh, yeah, so he, he drives by and we, we exit into, or we, we come down the highway, we get off on Overton and when we're coming around, so we have all these squad cars, we're going slower and it's not a high speed chase. And as we're coming up to the intersection at, outside of the apartments at 3550 East Overton, a very well-known apartment complex and, and location uh, in Dallas, he stops the van and there's some poor fella sitting out on the corner and he yells out to the guy and was trying to coax the guy to get into his, and the guy literally did like a funny little deal where there was a telephone pole right there and he and he obviously so the guy you have to imagine this guy is just standing on the side of the road here comes this van with 800 squad cars behind him with the lights and sirens going and the van stops and this poor dude standing there looking at the squad cars looking at the van and robert sparks is like hey man come here get in the van and he does the old proverbial like he tries to go and hide behind the telephone pole mm-hmm. like you can't see me routine yeah, yeah. but you could still see i don't it. blame he, him yeah and he was literally it was hilarious and i i had to like honestly i was i think i was chuckling laughing during this you know i'm behind a triple murder suspect and this dude's playing this like i'm hiding behind you can't see me game with but the telephone pole of a guy in a murder you know suspect uh so anyway, that happened. Um, and shortly thereafter that, he kept kind of winding through uh, Cell Central. Air One was above us. Um, luckily, he's a not. he obviously didn't know Oak Cliff all that well. Robert Sparks eventually drove into a dead end. Uh, 3500 Monday Circle is where that ended. Um, I believe it was, uh, yeah, it was on Monday Circle. Um, der- between that point and the little charade with the guy in the, in the, um, hiding behind the telephone pole. He did shoot at us. Uh, we were kind of zigzagging through uh, residential neighborhoods, but he, you know, during the trial, he basically said he was just messing with us in air quotes. Um, and he, he didn't hit my squad car, but it was tough because of the way it, we were driving. Tactically, I obviously couldn't shoot back because he just yeah. basically ripped rounds out the window, didn't did, hit me. Did you see that? Did you see that he extend the gun outside of the, the car? Did you see it? Did you see it come out? Yeah, so that was the tough part is uh, he had turned, and when so you can imagine if he turns left and I'm behind him, like he now L. has an yeah. angle to yeah. kind of look back at me. But luckily he didn't dump any rounds into my squad car. How many rounds least. did he shot, shoot? It was a revolver. Um, okay. I think it was a hand, couple. I don't know. See and then, the muzzle flash and, and yeah, all that? Yeah, well, that, and you just kind of duck or I don't know, and, you know, you take No, I remember you getting on the radio yelling that they were shooting. Fired. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it wasn't nearly that's, as cool as you're making it sound. Yeah, there, was that's a, a, <laughs> there was a pretty high-pitched voice on the radio. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was scared. Yeah, it was yeah. a very big part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying yeah. guys shooting at you, Chris. Yeah, yeah, just, just more just than play just, that part down. It, it wasn't just <laughs> casually driving down. Uh, well, no. Yeah, him shooting him shooting at you is a big deal. 
Yeah, well, to him, he was just playing around, so I guess I shouldn't have taken it that serious because that's what, you know, whatever. But um, he and unfortunately or fortunately, again, he did toss the pistol right after that. It was a revolver. Um, so I remember, you know, putting that out on the radio. So the kicker on this, the whole at the end of it was, is that because I mentioned he went into a, a dead end or a cul-de-sac. The intel that we had, again, this is probably what came out during the a detail, is that he had an AK. The, the intel we had is that he was armed with a pistol and potentially a long rifle or some sort of AK or, or something like that. So my fear during the chase was that after, even though he threw the the revolver out, I, my fear was that he still had another weapon in the vehicle. And when he went into 3500 Monday Circle, Air One saying, hey, it's a dead end, it's a dead end. Well, policies are policies, right? We at that time pretty much could only chase for and still for, you know, violent uh, felonies like this. But I had a decision he, to make. He because, met that category, though. Yeah, so. he definitely qualified. And I could tell funny. There's a funny story at the end of this about uh, a small accident that happened. So he pulls into the cul-de-sac. But I have 50, 60 squad car. I mean, the news media was in the chase with us. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it was Rebecca, a Dodge Durango, like, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Multiple. Um, the U.S. Marshals task, serve, or task Force was in the chase with us. SWAT was in the chase with us. And, you know, SWAT was on the radio basically saying if he gets, if we get to a situation where he won't get out of the vehicle, we're going to treat it as a barricaded person. And so we had all that communicated and it all went to crap, of course, when he went into this dead end. But the the decision I had to make was going against policy and going head to head with this guy. So my concern was that he had a rifle in his vehicle and that he was going to essentially drive into the dead end. And as he was driving out of the dead end, where's all of us, right? We're plugged up the hole. So he would basically drive by all of us. And all he'd have to do is drop an AK on the window and just go as he drove his way out of. And we're all sitting ducks. We have nowhere to go. So I, at that point, I made the choice to go head-to-head with him. Totally was against policy. I didn't ram him, unfortunately, which would have been way cooler. Um, but we basically just, at that point, he gave up. Um, thankfully, there weren't any shots fired. We untactically, incorrectly rushed the vehicle, took him into custody. Um, it's funny because Chris White, when he gave his, he, he said that he it bothered him that the task force took him yeah. and didn't let me and Johnny Walker take him to jail or take him up to homicide. That, yeah. And that's, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't want credit for it. It is what it is, and it happened. So No, that 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 chase was the craziest chase. And I've been in a lot of chases. That was the craziest chase because you had smooth cars. You had, you had covert cars <laughs> cutting off squad cars and yeah. running squad cars out of their lane. To, to get involved everybody wanted to get get a piece of it and because it was it was a big deal that was a uh, that was an awful crime that guy committed and then plus he had shot at officers that are chasing and yeah the intel that there was possibly a, a an assault rifle you factor that into it and this you know and, and we knew when he when he started turning into that I think by that time at one time I was fifth car maybe and then i got jockeyed out of that and i think by the time he got in that cul-de-sac i was maybe 25th car but (laughs) it but yeah you it was this you can't imagine the chaos of trying to go down neighborhood streets it wasn't like on a freeway Mm -mm. you're going through very busy neighborhood streets trying to like six wide it was it was insane i i distinctly remember number one my partner was almost standing on his chair and right in my ear screaming this is your glory shot don't let that car pass you. It was like literally, and I remember looking over to my left and seeing Bronk McCoy driving through people's yards. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was so wild. Yeah. And I think right behind him was Rebecca Lopez. Yep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at, one point, well at one point, Brad, uh, Brad and I, I was driving 
and the guy doubled back. So we're in line like we're supposed to, and it was over in the cliff. It wasn't far from 300 Bonnie View area whenever the, in Cedar Crest and that whole area. I remember the guy did a, he did a U-turn and turned around. And at that point there was nowhere for us to get because we had to stop and let him come by. So Brad and I both, as he drove by and y'all, you were, y'all were all following behind him. We literally, I, we both had our guns this, just pointed out at him out the window in case he took a shot because he was coming head to head with us. Mm-hmm. He went on by. I think he was smiling. Oh, he yeah. He was smiling at us. I think he was smiling when I got in behind him. Uh, you know, probably yeah. not in his right state of mind, obviously. No, no. That, and that later on, saying. some things in that trial, that guy, he was he was crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he tried to play that off. Um, but I actually had, when I testified in court, it was funny you mentioned people driving through lawns because humor is always good, right? And even in, in, in calculated risks especially these days, right? Humor can get you in trouble. But I uh, made the joke during the trial, the, you know, showing the video and they, there's squad cars driving through y- yards. And I was like, that's not me. Sorry. And yeah. my apologies. <laughs> and the jury laughed. But no, I, I, so I remember looking over because I, I have a real hard time telling who's driving a car while we're driving. Like, I don't know if I just don't see through windows like other people. But I remember looking over and seeing Bronk McCoy just driving the piss out of that car. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think everybody maxed out the potential of a crown big on that night yeah, well, i bet so he's taken into custody and um i remember he the trial went on you had to testify in that trial can you kind of explain uh what you know that was a big trial whenever it did happen in dallas and because uh, they were looking for the death penalty on him yep can you uh talk about uh your role and uh and how that testimony went yeah, uh, kind of let the cat stole the thunder there already. I, yeah, I don't obviously think that's how that goes. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, uh, I, um, you know, I really only got to testify about the chase, obviously, uh, and and I actually thank God for not ever having to see the the crime scene. Um, Steve Stribley, who's a great, another one of the phenomenal officers that we have on this department, um, had the unfortunate. Um, distinction of, of answering that initial call and seeing the carnage that this individual caused. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, and obviously due to the rule, the invoking the rule, I didn't get to see the rest of the trial. So I, I only testified about the chase. Uh, like I said, I made the calculated decision to make a joke about the driving on the yards, but it was, it was kind of relevant and tactically we kind of had to fan out and, and do what we could and treat the situation, uh, with, kid gloves for lack of a better way of putting it because of the situation but um yeah it it was it was interesting to testify in a trial like that obviously it was nerve-wracking um but you know it it was it was great and it it went well uh he was convicted um and given the death penalty and i pulled it up here he was finally executed in 2019 so he's no longer with us and it was yeah it's from 2007 to yeah in 2019 Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember they, uh, he had gained so much weight between the time he was arrested yep. and, and, and to the trial. And I heard that he ate nothing but pastries. Yeah. So it, if you look at this picture here, obviously the listener, but he's markedly heavier than uh, the, his other mugshot, which, you know, where he's a little more leaned out. Yeah. But, he was very stocky and he was stout whenever. Right. In, yeah. In 07 there. So he was playing up the whole, um, he apparently what you, yeah, what you alluded to is he only would eat, um, prepackaged like Cinnabons or whatever, because he was under the presumption people were trying to poison him. Yeah. So the, the irony there is it's like, okay, 
Like ultimately yeah. that you're going to get poisoned, but yeah, it's going to be unintentional. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be about, <laughs> right. about food. Yeah. So, he, you know, it, whatever, but we don't need to speculate on his mental health. Obviously it was way out there, but, uh, yeah, he gained a ton of weight, tried to play that, that card in, in trial, but obviously it was a formality. He was guilty. Crazy deal. I, I mean, he called nine one one and said, "Hey, I just killed my family." And then yeah, left. that's how that all worked. Yeah, and Chris brought in episode three. Chris brought this up, this whole thing up, uh, and you know, uh, he was a little annoyed with the with the marshal now, which now is ironic because he he is a marshal. That yeah, is ironic. Yeah. Right? So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm glad you're on here to talk about that because that was that was one of the wildest, the wildest chases I've been a part of, and especially when you factor in the whole circumstances of what he did. So. Right. So. I, we talked about you. You finally left Southeast. You went to some other divisions, and then on the bid, and then you went to uh, you went up to narcotics. I want to kind of I want to touch on that, and also the unit uh, that and you know Kent's up there right now. And I want to talk about the unit that you ended up on the the lab unit. To, to explain the listener what that is. Yeah. So most uh, when you start in narcotics, you start in the street squads unit. Uh, street squads, obviously. So you know every com- every narcotics is fueled by complaints from citizens. So. If there's, you know, basically you get a complaint that 123 Main Street is a suspected drug house, there's a lot of foot traffic coming and going, blah, 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 that's where you start. Um, and then there's different factions within narcotics. Uh, there's a what you, meth lab squad is what, or lab squad is what we called it. Essentially, those are detectives that are certified and able to disassemble a meth lab um, if there is one. Uh, luckily, those have kind of gone by the wayside, but we got different variations of those now. Um, what are called conversion labs. So real quick, high level, what that is, is the Mexican cartels have essentially figured out the cheapest way and the easiest way to make meth is in uh, liquid form. And they will ship it up to the United States in liquid form, and then they'll convert it to the actual ice form or the rock or whatever you want to call it once it's here in the United States. So those are the kinds of labs that we primarily um, worked with when I was there because they got luckily because of the evolution of the meth lab or meth and how it's made. We got away from the old school meth labs where they have a little, um, what do they use? Uh, soda cans and all the different weird uh, the bottles and the one pots and the real dangerous ways of making meth that luckily have gone by the wayside. Well, those labs are really dangerous too, though, because yeah. there's so many damn chemicals involved. Right, right. So we kind of got away from that. But that's essentially, so there's a, in that, when you're in the meth lab squad, you'd also do mid what we call mid-level investigations where you do, you're not just working a potential house that, you know, you basically get the complaint, you hit the house and hopefully that's, you arrest the drug dealer and the house is no longer a drug house. When you're up in the lab squad, you also do longer term investigations on higher level drug dealers where you're actually looking for a network of criminality um, and trying to, you know, maybe get a flow chart of like violent gang members that are all dope dealers. And that's the kind of what you do in the upper levels of narcotics. So was Al Sutton, was he the sergeant? Yeah, Sergeant Great. Sutton. Yeah. Was, he picked who, me to go over there. Who are some of the other players that were your teammates on that team? Uh, Mario Castanon, um, Dave Roach. Um, Alfred or uh, Nunez was Lapiano there. Paul Lapiano was already up in the FBI okay. or DEA task forces, so that's the third level, I guess. So you have street mm-hmm. squads, mid level, which was like lab squad or like you know just normal stuff, and then there's the federal task forces. Yeah. 
so yeah, Sergeant Sutton was my sergeant at the the lab squad. So it was a lot of fun. I got to go to Quantico, Virginia and go through the class. We actually made meth and then we deconstructed it. And so we learned all about it. But again, because of the evolution of meth labs and just how it's changed, um, luckily it's in a way it's become less dangerous. You don't have the, the proverbial tweaker with all their little chemicals and battery wrappers and all the nonsense yeah. trying to make meth and then they blow up and then we have to go deal with it. Although it still happens. But just not as just not as much. Shout out yeah. Dave Roach. He's actually going to come on. He's got a uh, we're we're in the process of putting together a story. I think the uh, it it's really going to be heavy episode. Yeah. And we'll we'll that's as much as I'm going to tease it. But uh, but yeah, we're, it's it's in the it's in the works of getting it put together. And there's a lot of moving parts for that one. But uh, I think it's going to it's going to be really relevant to what's going on in uh, the country right now with uh, the fentanyl. Uh, the fentanyl crisis. Great. Good. Um, I'm going to shift gears here and I want to talk about, uh, July 7th. Okay. You know, everybody in here is affected by that and uh, for different reasons and, and, uh, are similar reasons, but can you talk about where you were and, and, and how that hit you? Yeah. So, um, July 7th, uh, 2016, as we've all alluded, we call it, you know, seven, seven here in Dallas. Uh, I was a detective at the time. I had just left narcotics, um, and transferred to a detective position that essentially allowed me to have Monday to the real reason was, is I met my now wife and, uh, the meth lab squad, you were on call 365 days a year and had a very unpredictable schedule. And at that point I was about 12 years in my career. And so I was like, you know, I've, I've, done this to where I basically put the department first for long enough. It's time that I want days and weekends off. And I really, it was that I, I knew that, okay, I was, I was early thirties, you know, I'm not getting any younger, not definitely not getting any better looking. And, um, you know, so I, I knew this, I met my wife and we were just dating at the time. And, and I can't tell you how many times we'd make plans and I'd have to break them, you know, whether it was a birthday party or going out with their friends, whatever. So, I switched to that. Um, and so when seven, seven happened, I'll never forget. I, I left a community meeting, obviously it was down in Oak cliff and I was driving northbound 45 and I looked over and I saw the helicopters flying over downtown Dallas. And I'll never forget. I just shook my head cause it was hot. It was the middle of July. And I just said those poor bastards. And I was just thinking about the officers working the protest and just being out in the hot, uh, sun and just blocking traffic, getting screamed and yelled at and all that good stuff. And that's fine. We're, we're used to that, but it's just hot. <laughs> and, um, so I, I went home, I lived in uptown at the time. So just North of downtown. And we actually had plans to, with my girlfriend at the time to go with her friends to go to a rooftop pool and drink wine or drink beer or whatever have you and be on a rooftop pool. And, um, I got home and my mom texts me who, uh, big fan of the police department and all that good stuff. So she, I was always watching the news and, and lived vicariously through me. Uh, in a lot of ways, she texts me and she said, Hey, shots fired at the, uh, the protest down there in Dallas. And I just, you know, okay, well shots fired. Like, okay. And initially I was just like, geez, you know, some goofball had to shoot gun in the air and act like a goofball. Like why, you know, we don't need all that drama. And I kind of, I just remember just dismissing it like that. Naturally the, the news came out that no, their officers down, blah, blah, blah. So that all kind of came out and, um, needless to say, we didn't go to, my girlfriend, now wife's um, friend's house. Uh, we stayed there and just watched the news. Bronco, you mentioned, rest in peace, Bronco. Uh, he was the first uh, partner on the department, my first partner, actually. We worked down in the Deep Grove together. Um, I remember he called me, and he's like, hey, let me know if you want to go run down to Southeast and shag calls. And I can't, I just, I can't remember if 
maybe my, uh, I can't remember if my uniform and all my stuff was down at cell central. And at that point too, I think admittedly I was, so I knew I had already found out about some of the fallen officers and then I actually knew some of them. So I don't think I was in a mental state to go and answer calls, but so that's pretty much how it worked. It went down for me. Um, I did not respond down there. Um, but yeah, like you already alluded to, it's affected me every, every day of my life ever since. Um, being and I still struggle to talk about it and I'm not even a police officer anymore but but yeah that's that's kind of the the high level what it all how it all transpired um for me so it affected you I mean it and it and it got you on a on a, on a different mindset of what you wanted to do as an officer and 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 how you wanted to continue a career can you talk about that and and, and explain that yeah so you know, and I really struggle with this because I've looked, you know, we'll talk about the next topic is my police or my Facebook page, but, you know, say what you want about me. I, I really like to over, maybe to a fault overanalyze. I like to critically think and, and analyze things. And so, and, and discuss and debate and all that good stuff. But after seven, seven, I really just, to me, it was, I was always okay with the risks of the job. I mean, any police officer that goes through the academy and puts on the uniform and the badge and they go out and answer calls, they all, we all know, we all know what could happen. And anyone that obviously continues to do the job after a while, we accept that, right? I think for me, it was the idea of I'm okay getting shot in the face. I'm not okay getting shot in the back. Um, I have a really hard time accepting consequences of a false narrative, in my opinion, um, like that, you know, if something were horrible and true and I was a terribly bad person and I had a bad fate coming my way, then that's okay. But to, to, to think that those officers are just standing there protecting folks that they don't know any from Adam, they're complete strangers. And to, to have them get gunned down because of that, their job, their uniform and this narrative that we are apparently all bad, horrible people that want to kill people, um, based on the color of their skin. And it's just not true. Um, so it really, yeah, I think everybody, you just, you have a point where you come and have a, for lack of a better term, a, a come to Jesus talk with yourself and just be like, after seven seven, I guarantee every officer at some point had a, that question that they asked themselves, and I'll admit, I there's that guilt, like you said, that survival survivor's guilt. I feel like a quitter. I have to deal with the fact that and now, see now I get emotional because um, you you feel like you let your friends and your other officers down. So like doing what was best for me at least what I think is best for me. Ultimately, I decided that I wanted something better for me in my personal life that also meant that I could make more money and have more time at home. And I think I really just started looking at time with the people you love and care about is more important than any job you're ever going to have. And when you have that realization, and because the only way to make more money as a police officer is to what? You work more. You're gone more. You work overtime. You aren't at home with your family, you can't make in sales, right? You could be really good at sales, make a ton more money and the more sales you make, but you don't necessarily have to work physically away from your family longer to be more successful. So I, that's what really, I think came into it for me. And then just the whole, do you want to continue being, having your life be 
essentially determined by the police department because at the end of the day, right, you could get assigned to the property room with uh, overnight, you know, shift and midnight to 8 a.m. for the needs of the department. Um, so all those factors went into it. And I think after a while, I just said, you know what, I'm a pretty smart guy that works hard. I think there's other things out there in the world that maybe I can go do that are going to be better for me. Uh, and so that was kind of it. And then I had a, a girlfriend who's now my wife who wanted to move to Maui and, uh, and, and she actually was going to move to New Zealand and I was ready to do that. I think I was just ready for a change. So, yeah, I, I remember, yeah, good day, mate, New Zealand. I'm yeah. just kidding. I had, I, had to, I had to throw that in. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, listen, I couldn't help myself. Good day, mate. I, um, oh, man. I remember that. I, and, um, I knew, I was like, but I knew how much you loved this job, Chris. You, I mean, you, at that point, you, you were you were ate up mm-hmm. with the profession and and identified as being a police officer and and you liked doing this job and loved doing you know and putting people in jail and you like you just you like serving, yeah. And that incident that day, it got I mean yeah, it got a lot of people thinking you because there is a at that time there was a lot going on with the with the narrative and. And uh, there's a lot of just a profession being vilified, yeah. You know, and 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 look what happened, and and then everything's cyclical, and it it did die down, then it ramped back up, and then and as of right now in 2023, it's it's kind of in a it's it's in a law. I need to find some wood to knock on, but it yes, yeah. You can knock bring, on me. Bring your head over here. Yeah. No, but it's you know it's it is cyclical, and at that time in 2016, and after watching five of our own and many others get shot and, and injured and and uh and just being traumatized the whole city the whole country was traumatized at the time because the baton rouge happened right after yep. and it looked like we were under that's going to be the new norm and a lot of people thought is this what I, is this worth it right yeah and you know what I, I think it it galvanized a lot of officers too and and, and i think it could have gone that way for me as well um if it probably I should, I don't know, maybe think this through, but I mean, my wife was a big driver in moving away, but it was, the, it was I think it was the nudge that I needed because, and it is, you're right. I, I loved this job and I was pretty decent at it. I worked really hard and nothing mattered more to me than being respected by my peers and working hard and just making sure that I was someone that people could rely on. I knew the seriousness of the job and I tried to take it serious. Um, but it's weird. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, you're right. I never in a million years would have thought that I would have left the department. I, for sure, I, I thought I would have been 30, 40 years on. God only knows where I would have worked throughout the years, but I would have never thought I would have. And I bet you if you took my odds, the odds would have been against me leaving uh, or the odds would have been most people would have taken that bet. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think, and it's funny because I get a lot of questions about leaving and people, uh, officers and spouses reach out to me uh, on the Facebook page and, and just in personal life about leaving and whether how they can leave, if they should leave, how to start over. And I'm in kind of an interesting position because as much as I respect the profession and love it, obviously, I'm still involved in it. Here I am right now. Um, I don't want to encourage people to leave because we need people to take the job and, and do a great job at it. But um, I also don't under don't blame them or fault them if they do leave. And I think a lot of people probably were in the same boat of questioning, could they leave? But if you talk to a lot of cops, they say, I don't know anything else. You know, yeah. so your ability to to understand that you are a smart guy and that you can do something else and there are other opportunities out there played right into the timing of all that also, because I'm telling you that I've talked to so many people that say, if I had another job, I'd leave. 
Really? But that's interesting. Or they'd say if I had another trade or if I could do something else. But, you know, there's a lot of people that something happens on the job and they're and it doesn't work out well. They make a mistake and they are forced to leave. And then you see them five, ten years down the road. They're surviving. And actually, some of them are doing quite well. Yeah. The, it, it's just it's just nobody likes change, especially cops. They hate change. And that in 7-7 seven, seven really – made a lot of people i mean it changed my perspective of what i wanted to do i mean you you know look where I, I went to i totally did something different and i did it at the time also uh for my mindset my mental health but also for the family but it really made you a little bit more self-aware of the mortality of your not only just yourself but just how the job i mean it, it started changing it be doing police work and the dangers of police work are one thing, but to have another factor in where it felt you were under attack and also underappreciated, uh, it, that that's another layer of, of things to consider when it comes to continuing this profession or continuing this profession and what you love to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're anyone's you're lying to yourself if you don't think that 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 negative connotation or I don't necessarily think police officers want to be told every day, thank you or whatever. It's nice of course. Right. But I think anyone's lying if they would say that they would be okay in a profession where every day you just basically got told you were a bad person and, and that it wouldn't eventually wear on you. You know, you tell yourself a lie long enough, eventually you believe it, you know, there's that saying out there. So there must be something to that. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I will say to any officer that hears this, what don't dismiss the fact that when you're a police officer, you have what I would call a lot of transferable skills, the ability to uh, deescalate, the ability to problem solve, the ability to multitask, the ability to do multiple things and solve other people's problems. And while applying laws and rules and policies, and you have a ton of skills that you just need to maybe sit down and think about how they actually translate to other professions and other opportunities. And I will also say, unfortunately, this world is very much who you know, not what you know. So if you want to leave this profession or go somewhere or do something, that's really about where well, you just need to start networking and find a way to do it. But I'll just leave it to that. So so that leaving, the, leaving this profession, how hard of a decision was that for you to finally come to grips with you're going to take another journey in your life with your now wife and this was going to be put in your rearview mirror? Well, uh, you know it's been a while. So I don't know. I just think incrementally you kind of come around to it and you evaluate everything you have at the time. But also, you know, at the end of the day, Dallas police department's still here. We're five years removed from me leaving and it never missed a beat. And the fact that I left didn't stop it from going on down the road. And the other thing is I could always come back. If things, I think a lot of people expected me to come back with my tail between my legs and say, you know, I made a mistake. But I was pretty firm in the fact that I, I had this vision. I didn't know what it was, and I'm starting to see what it is now, and I think eventually we'll get to it. But, uh, yeah, I I just – I got, I guess I got to a point where I just didn't see me in my honest future 10, 15, 20 years down the road still here as a Dallas police officer. So I had to acknowledge that fact. And, and also, again, so cliche, but you only live once, and I'm just one of those people where it's like, okay, let's roll with it. And it's funny because a lot of people thought I wasn't crazy, and they all thought I would come back. And one of the funniest things is they all the, one of the biggest objections that they would throw at me is, what about your pension? Well, and, and that's a, it may, it's even funnier now that I'm in what I'm in now, right? So uh, we can talk about that. But yeah, um, 
people fear, like you said, officers especially fear change. And, you know, your pension is a big reason why a lot of these officers, a lot of officers do this job is they have that carrot at the end of the road where they're like, hey, man, I just got to suck it up. And after 20, 25 years, you know, I got that, that got that pension. Well, it's like Chief, Chief Ramirez, everybody puts these arbitrary timelines on mm-hmm. themselves that like when I get out of patrol and I become a technician or I promote it, things are going to be better and it, or I get to the 90%. And they just kind of they put these goals up for themselves as opposed to perhaps looking at the quality of the life or the quality of the job or the the passion for the job. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that are just miserable coming every. I mean, that's in any job, not just policing, but a lot of people come in every day and they just they're miserable having to come to work. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, life's too short. And and I'll attribute a lot of this to mindset to my wife and meeting her is that you know she just says that life's too short to be unhappy. And so I was, unfortunately, it was really weird and I'll be very, I guess, vulnerable or whatever. Uh, when I was in narcotics, you know, it was my, what I thought was my dream job and in mid-level narcotics or in the meth lab squad, you know, I got to narcotics. I finally worked my way up in the lineups and I got to run number one in the door and all that crazy stuff. And I bought crack. I did this. I'd, and all these personal challenges I had, like the, the narcotic search warrant school is very challenging. And that was definitely a school I wanted to prove to myself that I could, you know, pass and get through it. And, um, but it, you know, at the end of the day, you eventually get to a point where you got to do what's best for you and make the decision, um, that that's right for you. Because if you don't enjoy going to work every day, that's a miserable existence. And, the, and so what I was going to get at was, is that in narcotics, that was my on paper, what I thought was my dream job, but the dynamics of being a narcotics detective, meaning you're always at the beck and call of being on call, your court, you know, you get, you have to testify in court, but then you worked midnights. And so you never really have any continuity in your personal life. That starts taking a toll on your mental health, on your overall happiness. Cause you're never getting a consistent amount of sleep. You can't plan a bit. things outside of work were a big deal to me going to concerts, going to hockey games, being, spending time with girlfriends, friends, whatever. And, and if you can't do that because you're always at work or you're getting called in on an on-call status, like you're going to be grumpy and you're tired. So I was tired and grumpy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, but I was happy inside. I just right. externally wasn't so. You thrilled. were doing what you wanted to do, but then, but you still weren't getting fulfillment from anything other than that damn being on the clock. Well, and and yeah, exactly. It's weird because it was like I was, there was fulfillment because I had achieved what I wanted to achieve, but then the day to day of it was actually such a grind to where it, it ruined that uh, uh, the enjoyment of it. Like running warrants and being in narcotics was a freaking blast. It was some of the most fun I've ever had. My time in on the department with in. in uh, operation disruption was phenomenal my time at southeast i my entire career was awesome it's the the grind and the day-to-day and what you actually have to give up in order to be a police officer and a good police officer you really don't even realize it until you stop doing it a hundred percent and and that is exactly right and and once you have weekends and what i call live a normal life where you have holidays like yeah i have christmas i'm be off like everyone else like it's weird where that's actually like a a novel thing for you for the for a while you get used to it after a while that you have those days off but yeah you don't even realize it. it you don't know what it's like to quote be normal and I think I craved that, and that was probably why I left sooner than I ever expected to. And then you meet a woman who's, you know, amazing, and, and she wants to drag me to paradise, and I did go kicking yeah. and screaming. I really didn't want to go to Maui. Uh-huh. And, and and to that point, I guess I can elaborate on that, is I, I, I stayed in law enforcement, admittedly, for a year. I, when I went to Hawaii, I didn't really know what to do, and to your point, like, what transferable skills do I have, or what do I... 
So I was actually the supervisor of welfare fraud investigations in the, for Maui County for the time that I was in Hawaii. So, um, you know, then I left narco or then I left law enforcement, but. Well, you keep mentioning your wife. You better give her, you better give her a shout out. Yeah. Well, Hey, hi, Penny. Hi, Penny. (laughs) She's back at home and I fly home tomorrow. So. Well, I look forward to seeing it. If y'all make it back down, I'd like to go go hang out. I, I, I met her for the first time at Cops Cop. Yeah. So. Yeah. She, it was nice for her to meet you. And she said, who's this Joe guy you're always talking to? Yeah. Who keeps <laughs> posting these filthy pics on, yeah. on Facebook? <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk about your page. Talk about, we mentioned, we've already talked about it before, but mm-hmm. I want you to kind of get into that now. Yeah. So uh, when I moved to Maui, I, um, <laughs> it's just interesting. I, I'd never been a, a it's weird because I'm shy. I'm actually a, a oddly introverted shy person at first. And then once I know you and then I won't ever shut up. So I'm just one of those people that takes a minute to whatever. But I also like to write and uh, and I guess, you know, it's weird because I never was a writer per se, but I just was always decent at it. I'm terrible at math. I got horrible grades in math and I always did well in English and all that good stuff. So when I moved to Maui, I probably had a little bit of... Um, Oh, a lot of emotional baggage from seven seven just occurring and still dealing with that, and then obviously grieving the loss of a profession. I mean, basically, you you really you right. lost a profession. It, and yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Mm-hmm. Like you you lose a part of your identity, so to speak. Uh, which is weird because again, I mentioned I was still a, a law enforcement officer, so to, in very big air quotes in Hawaii. But I, you know, luckily I didn't have guns and didn't have to make arrests. It was all just you know filing cases on on fraud, stolen but, pineapples. Yeah, stolen. Yeah. No, just welfare fraud. Just welfare fraud. <laughs> stolen pineapples. Yeah. Good night, mate. Yeah. Good night, well, mate. Pineapples are cheap even now, even with all the inflation. They're good though. They're not. Yeah, they are. Um, so yeah, no, um, I finally left law enforcement, um, but I started this page and it really, it started out as a website, which is interesting, right? So I started a blog and on WordPress, didn't really know what I was doing. And I think it was just my weird way of therapy, right? My own self therapy to, and this all kind of goes into the owl unit and why I believe in it. But unbeknownst to me, I obviously had a lot of emotional baggage that I had to to deal with and and process. And so I was just writing and, and I'd write articles basically, Again, I think it was taking what happened on 7-7 and being angry about the fact that I feel like there's this misconception, there's these there's these narratives that's being told, there's these things that have happened, and there's obviously a huge disconnect here. And, you know, I can only speak on what my career was and what I saw here in Dallas. And I have actually, over the four or five years of running this page, I have learned that although most issues and challenges that we all encountered as police officers are mostly the same. I know you guys have talked to people, but Kent, you've been in SWAT, you know, officers from all over the country. We all gripe about the same stuff. Would you agree for the most part? Oh yeah. However, we are this department and I'm sorry to say this, but we're very well trained. We do things very well. Uh, what happened in minute, just by virtue of policies, what happened in Minneapolis with George Floyd would have never happened here. I mean that in narcotics, when I ran warrants, people were sat up, they weren't allowed to lay, uh, lay on their bellies because of asphyxiation, because of excited delirium, because of all the training we've had, none of those things would have happened. So I think sometimes I talk about law enforcement from my perspective and my lived experience from on a very highly trained, very well-run police department. And I get a lot of grief because people are like, well, that's not what I'm seeing over here in small town, you know, Iowa or what have you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lone Oak, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, but any, so I started this blog and, and it started out just as me writing articles and I have no idea how that became a thing. And naturally I'm just in, I, 
figure stuff out. So I was like, okay, how am I going to push these articles out there? So the vehicle was obviously social media. So I created a page. My wife is the one that actually came up with the name. Um, and the idea was, is that I was writing articles, not from me per se, but from the perspective of a police officer, but it could be anybody. It may be the individual, the, the officer, like maybe, you know, an officer in your life and that's who you're hearing this perspective from. And that's where the name, the officer next door came from. So it was, I was writing articles meant to be like, oh, okay. So this could be like from Joe the guy I know that he happens to be a cop. And so this is what maybe, um, and the articles were essentially just topics related to law enforcement, either on a high level or just in general or about what's going on. Um, I think at the time, like when I first started, there was some controversial narcotics warrants that occurred in Houston, for example. So I would talk about the no knock versus knock and announce warrants. And I had experience in that, obviously. So I would just talk about that. And well, that's where it went. That's important to like it is important to educate because we we try to do that on here, not just tell a bunch of extremely southeast stories yeah southeast <laughs> stories and yeah and and talk about critical incidents and uh and, and people having alcohol related issues but we try to do some education too and uh and we you know it, and also you you check off the box of what our what we're trying to accomplish here you want to humanize the badge i mean there's only so many uh videos you can see of an officer playing basketball to humanize the badge and, and tiktok videos but education piece is in my mind really big and that's why we did that two-part on the uh the dynamic warrants to talk about the the warrant service and the different types of warrants because in kent nobody knows this better than any of us that he goes around and there's other agencies that they don't they don't understand the difference between no knocks surround a call out and then you know what I was I was reading when I was reading your your blog and in your page I was kind of getting that it was your way of still helping us even from afar and helping not just DPD but helping all officers and have and helping citizens have a better understanding of what we are, what we're about, as opposed to just running with a narrative. And also it was a way for you to kind of get something off your chest. Yeah. That man. was a benefit of others. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm glad you said that. Cause that is exactly what I was going for or, and I've always been going for, but obviously it's evolved. Um, and I don't ever want to purport or pretend to speak for off. It's a tough gray area, right? Because I don't yeah. want to speak for, because you may not always agree with me and that's okay. Right. We try to do, we, we juggle that same right. dynamic here in some ways. It's tough. Um, but yeah, that was what my goal always was, is it was just like, let us at least tell our side of the story because a, a lot of things. And, and so first of all, the page, unfortunately, it's very cumbersome to write a lot. And we're a very ADD uh, short attention span society now, and it's gotten progressively worse. So I've already learned from, and the metrics are the best way to learn from my Facebook page. When I post something long-winded, most people are too long, don't read. That's their, their, uh, they're too busy to read it. So I what's want the stuff. Point? I won't give me stuff. Yeah. Give me quick stuff. Yeah. And so that's unfortunate, right? So that my, you know, my page has evolved from, it used to be a blog where I wrote well thought out articles and I'd come up with a, 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 pa a photo that went with the article. But what I learned very quickly is that I could put all this time and effort into it and have a well thought out point. And I was going to talk about the difference between no knock and knock and announce warrants. And I pick a picture a, a choose a photo and when I posted the article, 
50% of the comments would be about the photo that had literally nothing to do with the article, but people wanted to talk about the photo that, you know, like there was a hubcap missing or some arbitrary topic, you know what I mean? So it's like, why are, and then I'm frustrated, I get frustrated because, okay, you feel this like is, you're wasting your time. I am the wasting me- my the time. The message is not getting out that you want to right. get out. Yeah. yeah. And so that was futile. So I quit. I actually quit with the WordPress. I quit doing the articles because in order to read my article, you actually had to, this is a lot of work. I know. This is crazy, but you had to click the link, right? And then you had to read it. And so that's tough because there's no pictures, at least there, you know. And so, yeah, it, it's tough. And and so I wanted to, I guess, advocate on behalf of officers to fight against the false narratives. But I'm also, I try very hard to be objective. And that's the thing, like, you know, when you're talking about uh, departments that don't know the difference between knock and announce and dynamic warrants or no knocks. I forget that, right? I forget that the, those there are departments out there that aren't maybe as well trained or whatever, and and we got to account for that. And that's a topic of conversation that has to have in this country that or that should happen in this country because I think people see police officers and for whatever reason in their mind they think we're all trained the exact same. They well, they're all cops. They all look the same. They all drive cop cars. They all wear uniforms. They all wear badges. So I don't understand how the Des Moines Police Department in Iowa and the Miami Department in Seattle and Pittsburgh and Dallas are so different. Well, and then, and then not to mention like the really small departments that mind you barely are able to fund departments and function, let alone train and be the, you know, what the movies portray as. And some of them are lack lack of experience too. They just, some of the things that happen in, in hell, okay. Even when in certain parts of Dallas, Mm -hmm. certain parts of Dallas, we have seven substations. There's certain, there's certain things that happen in channel seven that don't happen in different parts of the, at at the frequency. Right. And then you go out into the suburbs, then it, 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 they still get, they still get it, but sometimes it may, may not be as much. And then you go to different parts of the country, totally different things you're dealing with. Right. Yeah. And I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, as a normal everyday American going through life, you know, I'll never forget I had a conversation with a guy here when I lived in Dallas and I asked him, I said, how many, you know, police shootings do you think happened in the city of Dallas on a weekly basis or something to that effect? And I think he came out with a number of astronomical, like 10, 20, you know, something outrageous, you know, and, you know, but there's a thousand fatal police involved shootings across the entire country every year. And that number is almost like within a standard deviation of like 50, right? So maybe 50 more, maybe 50 less. It's almost uncanny how consistent that number is but yet the narrative like you said we haven't had any controversy lately right so in law enforcement you're talking about just in general it's 2023 in may right now and lately there hasn't been anything really controversial no one's really mad at the cops. I mean, Shit. there's some bad stuff going on always every once in a while. You, but. you probably jinxed it. By the time this airs, there's yeah, going to be probably I know, three or four my, downs. Check my phone. Some horrible <laughs> yeah. thing happened. Hey, we, folks, we were recording here in May in 2023. Yeah. This may air in 2025, but damn it, yeah. right now, everything's calm. <laughs> yeah, we jinxed it. Yeah. But, you know, and, and we want to call those things out. Like, and, and so my page was never meant to be a cops do no wrong. The cops can only do right. Um, you know, every police officer, ever, you know, none of that. Um, I, I try very hard to call balls and strikes fairly, call out officers when they make mistakes, and, and accountability is an important thing of our – it's important in every aspect of life, but especially as a police officer. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to try to start uh, – create something that's so tribal, and you're just yeah. 100% on one side or 100% on the other side because there is that is not life, and that is not this profession. That's not any profession. No, and and I get criticized for that, and you know what I've learned of running this, this page for five years or so is that you know it doesn't matter what you do, you're never going to get everyone to agree with you um 
pe- people get mad when I don't ban uh, trolls or, or anti-police people. Um, but I, I, as long as they're not call, like name calling and being horribly immature and childish, I want them, I want, like you said earlier, maybe this was off recording, but to have debate, conversation, uh, opposing points of view are good. It's a good thing. Well, I'll be honest. Sometimes some of these trolls and these shit talkers, they get on there and you can kind of let them expose themselves oh, yeah, to, their, to their intelligent level and also their logic and their, their illogical thoughts and yeah. let them go. Yeah, you, you let somebody go long enough, they might, they might kind of show their ass in a way that you know you don't even have to ban anybody. I do that on occasion. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's fun. I enjoy banter. I enjoy debate. I enjoy going back and forth with people. And uh, I, and I guess that's the lawyer part of me, right? Is I always like to think critically and debate issues. And I just think it's fun because, you know, the ironic thing is, is as weird and divided as this country is is right now, as they say. The truth of the matter is, is we, we, us, all Americans agree on like 80% of stuff, 90% of stuff. It's the fringe stuff that we really deviate on. It's really not that big of a deal. And so, uh, but as it, as it pertains to the page, you know, I always try to be middle of the road. I don't ever want to like, again, I don't speak for Dallas police. I don't speak for you. I just want to advocate on the profession's behalf to try to fight against some false narratives. And, um, Hey, if you don't agree with me or you think I'm, uh, controversial or wrong because you disagree with me, that's fine. But, um, you know, I'm just trying to do the best I can and have some fun with it and raise money and help people too. Obviously. Yeah. So you, you know, Nat, you kind of evolved, you've evolved so much. You go from the, uh, the, the long blogs and, and the detailed and thought provoking blogs. And, uh, to now you, you do a lot, you do a lot, a little bit of both, but there's a lot of memes. So you speak my love language when you're, yeah. you're putting up. Yeah, no, you love shit. the memes, man. Yeah. Well, it fuels me. That's my that's my happy place. That's okay. So you and I, you you started reaching out to me after we started up this podcast, and and I had no background in this, and you know that, and you mm-hmm. and I have talked quite a bit about this form of communication, when story time and education and inspiration, inspirational stories, and and hell, even this this show, you know, its name Risen of the Divide. Kit and I have known each other for years, but. Life, you know, I've known you since you was a rookie, mm-hmm. and I've known Kent since he was a rookie at Southeast. Life, careers, different places work, and you just kind of slowly drift apart, and then some things bring you back together. Mm-hmm. Kent and I are probably closer now than we ever have been on a on a professional and also just a personal level as well. Oh, definitely. And, and you, yeah, and you and I, uh, he was making a very vulgar uh, motion with his fingers Kent just was. now. Yeah, Kent. So the listener couldn't see that. I'm going to eventually have a video, but no, it, it really like, you know, Kent getting involved and you started reaching out to me after you started hearing some of these stories and, and then same with Kent, you know, Kent's texting and we just, and then now Kent's a part of it and God, I'm glad he is, but I like to get my friends involved and, you know, good people involved. Um, and you, we talked, I've been trying to kick you in the ass to get you going on your own podcast the officer next door podcast we've been it's been in the works for shit it seems like a year yeah it has and i i'm bad about this and i you know i said i was going to leave the police department and i eventually did and uh, i knew for a while that i just kind of felt like there was something else in life that i needed to do and same with the podcast but that that all that all it all coalesces with where i am in life and what what i'm actually doing and why i haven't taken on the podcast but in a perfect world i would wish that my page could evolve into solely the podcast 
because I would love to have long form conversations and debates, even have people that aren't really fond of the police on there and have these conversations meet and, and hear different points of view, perspective, lived experiences, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and have the opportunity to have those aha moments where people realize, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Or now that you explain your point of view as a police officer, I understand why you do that. And you've changed my point of view on that one topic, for example. That's that's what we need more of. That's what I think Joe Rogan keeps talking about as his platform is, you know, we don't need less speech. We need more. If you've never talked to me as a 12-year veteran of a police department or you as a 20-plus year veteran or Kent as a 20... How do you, where do you purport to get your information to form your opinion as to whether cops are bad or not, other than just because of, and so to go back, remember I, I mentioned, I asked that guy how many sh- shootings he thought happened on a weekly basis, and his number was so high because of, could, the reason is, is because on the media, he never stopped to differentiate where an officer-involved shooting might have happened, so you see it on the news media so often, he thinks they're happening every day here in Dallas in his backyard, when in fact, that that uh, that fatal-involved inv- shooting was in Florida, not here. And so that, that, but because you don't pay that close of attention because life and we're busy, we're a distracted society. You see it on the news all the time. You assume it happens. And then your perception of the reality is it's much worse than it actually is. So it's very easy for you then to think, well, cops are terrible because they're out there running around killing people all day, every day. I see it on the news every single day. And when he thought literally that we had 10 fatal shootings, a week in the city of Dallas, that blew my mind. I mean, think about that. Because when it really comes down to it, you guys will be able to help me come. Dallas Police Department's responsible for roughly what five to fifteen officer involved, not necessarily fatal, but officer involved shootings in a year. I know it's tough because it wanes. But yeah, it, it, ten it, a year, maybe, maybe, maybe. It fluctuates, varies, but sometimes at the end of the year, you may look up and count them up and go, "Damn." There's that many, you sure. know, but, but, sure. but not all of them are reported. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, and, and, or, or just, they don't make the news and they don't make, they don't become newsworthy. So they're just, you know, or they're, they're that damn justified or they don't fit a certain topic or conversation. Right. They're not reported on. So, Correct. you know, but that's part of it. Yep. But again, that just show that highlights why it needs to be talked about because this, this fellow's rolling around with the perception in his yeah. mind that 10 Dallas police department fatally shoots 10 people a week i mean that's that's asinine that's you know times 52 weeks a year that's 500 people that the yeah. city of dallas get. that's just it's bonkers like we don't even have that many murders in the city of dallas no, <laughs> no we're not miami in the 90s no uh, well hell us in the 90s yeah yeah exactly we're any the, better the uh, drug wars yeah so we you're talking about conversations as far as education but one thing that i want to get into now is like the mental health topic and um Part of this, 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 the idea for this came from a mental health seminar, or, or I'm saying that mental health, well, overall wellness seminar mm-hmm. by Dr. T, and to get a conversation of, of, uh, of you can, you could check, I could check off a lot of boxes with the, with the mission of this, humanize the badge, uh, be an advocate for uh, mental wellness for officers or mental health, physical health, uh, you know, inspiration, motivation motivate you to get help or to be better officer or educate yourself to be more equipped to have a long career right or be mm-hmm. a better person mm-hmm. there was a lot of things and that you set out to do and whether you accomplish them all i don't know but i got a 
I got a very sweet message from a commander just this week about how much this episode is meant to her. Oh my God. And I, and, and I de-identified it and I shared it with Kent. It was that personal where I, I didn't even, even my uh, podcast partner here, I didn't even uh, give the name, but that meant a lot. And I get those all the time. And the person that sent me that, I had no idea that that person even listened. Mm -hmm. And so you really, you don't know who all's looking at your page. You don't, we don't know who the hell is actually listening here. I mean, I just mailed off some, some patches to uh, two officers from France that have been, we've been going back and forth, you know, and it's, it's, it's fun. And uh, it's nice to hear. And actually I always say it motivates me. It does motivate me, but being in this wellness unit now, I want to kind of get in that with you about your thoughts on what Dallas has, has going on here. And cause we know how it was when in 2005, whenever you heard on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, oof, it, it's pretty cool it, to see the evolution and kudos to you guys for, you know, starting the owl unit. And uh, I, as I mentioned, I live in San Diego for a little while. So I know that they are somehow I managed to know that they had a wellness unit and I know that you've been in talks with them. Um, but yeah, and I want to go back really quick. It is interesting how you start a, a podcast like this or even my page, which is in it. And it's funny because yes, I'm saying who I, that I run this page and I'm claiming it or whatever, but you're still not going to see my face. Like I, I don't ever, it's not about me. Like I don't want it to be about me, but to that point, I don't, and I don't know what I've, what that page has ever done, but it is weird. The messages you get. Right. And I've met, I have like literal friends, people that have my personal number that I talk to that I've met through this page that are officers in different parts of the world. I got a guy that started a coffee company based on it and that I helped him with, and he's a former cop. Um, but as far as the, the, the officer wellness and the mental health aspect of it, you know, I think it all just rolls right up to what a podcast and how cathartic and how, um, beneficial it is to talk and tell your stories and debate and discuss and have long form conversations about it. And I think it's like incredibly important and it's a tragedy that it's taken this long to get to this point. But when I came on in 05, there wasn't anything like after this whole Robert Sparks deal, I mean, granted it went well and we were very excited, but I can't imagine having to have been the officer that responded to this crime scene. And then just like, everything's just all hunky dory and everything's fine. And you're supposed to go on with life and you've read the description of that offense it and it, i gave it and i gave a very watered down description you did that. you did and um it, it's just horrific and and that is never an out here we always have to give these qualifiers you know the things you see and the awful stuff that you see and internalize as a police officer are not an excuse to being held accountable or they're not an excuse for bad behavior but let's just be real and address the fact that you're lying mr or mrs john q citizen if you don't think that those would take a toll on you and, and whether maybe you would drink more and maybe that's why you get a DWI or maybe you uh, make some poor decisions and ultimately because you're human. Again, doesn't account for the lack of not saying that we shouldn't be held accountable if you make decisions because of this mental health aspect of our job, but to not acknowledge it is a mistake. So that all to say, to see what this has evolved to, but more importantly, and I've talked about this on, I think, a few of my posts or, or talking about this podcast, I have a s- tremendous amount of respect for the chief uh, and what he's done in this program and to allow officers to raise their hand and say they need help, but to have the guarantee and the promise that's already been proven, by the way, by officers doing this, that there are no repercussions for raising your hand and saying you needed help. For far too long, police officers have drowned the the things that they see on a daily basis, the children that are dying and killed or the the horrific car accidents and just the, the evil that exists in our world. They've been, you know, relegated to what? Drinking themselves 
drinking the pain away as we've heard in, in other episodes of this of this podcast so to finally put the cart before to, to put the horse in front of the cart in terms of a solution was long overdue and i just can't i am just so thankful that 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 chief has actually done that and um the owl unit i think will pay untold dividends as a department because you're never going to know what other like you said officers that don't maybe get help on their own privately that you never know that went and they did that you're never going to know about that you're you're also saving careers you're you're preventing potential tragedies where maybe someone decided to go get help and then they didn't end up in that dwi situation or getting into a fatal 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 car accident or ruin their marriage or or the relationship with kids and other friends and family yeah and if you're drinking all the time because you're stressed or you wore out or you're trying to drink away the pain of the things you see on a daily basis it's not a far leap to mental leap to get to the point where yeah that's going to have negative consequences on your life on all aspects um so you know and 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 it's funny because this page i think was born out of a need for me to have mental health services i needed a way to talk about how i was upset i've lost my career by my own doing obviously i understand all that but you still make a choice that even if you know it's the right choice you made for yourself doesn't mean you're going to be pumped about it all the time or you aren't going to have some issues that you're going to have to digest. And I didn't have that. Um, so I'm really happy to hear that it is. And I've obviously lost and know people that I've, we've lost to suicide. And, and the fact that I think, you know, when I tell people that more officers die at their own hand than the hands of the public or the job itself, it floors a lot of people and they don't realize that. And I've known that for a long time. And so I just... To me, that's just the perfect thing to advocate for. If you're going to advocate and have a page like I do and ramble about whatever or have a purpose, like, you know, what better purpose than that than shining a light on something that I feel, again, just like the false narratives, people have either don't you don't know what you don't know or the perceptions are incorrect about a certain topic. So that's kind of where I'm at with the the mental health stuff. I think it's just phenomenal um, that you're, you're doing that. And I want to – what I have planned in my future is going to hopefully – fold into that and even help on one aspect of it so we'll see where that goes yeah one thing you uh i, I touched on earlier that you during your intro uh is that you also are you know you're not only being a voice the education of your page and 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 serve giving service when you how you can and when you can but you're also uh done some uh fundraising for the assisty officer foundation and we were pretty i want to thank you on here for that i appreciate that yeah, it's my honor. I wish it was more, um, but I can assure you that won't stop. And one, so one of the things I say about this silly Facebook page that I have is that if if it if it starts, if I can't do anything good with it, and I can't help people with it, and it's not adding to my life or making things better for other people, then I'm just going to hit the delete button and be done with it. Um, so that's definitely my intention is to continue. I've helped a few different people in certain scenarios. Now I have to put this out there for those that ask. The GoFundMe's are tough. You, you get you get you've been burned with GoFundMe's. I've been burned with fake ones. You, people and then the other aspect of it is is if if all I ever post is people needing help, people do, you tend to get ignored. It's yeah. a really tough balance to to juggle. Uh, but the inbox messages I get are interesting sometimes. But but I have been able to help folks, and that's that's cool. So I, I sold those coins and, and raised money because I believe in this. I I want more money to come to assist the officer foundation and. If I had the podcast, I think one thing, you know, I want to keep bringing a light to what ATO does, the fact that all the money that is raised by the Sissy Officer Foundation goes to the officers. Um, I mean, that's just the elephant in the room with some charities is, is not all the funds go to where the you're hoping the funds go to. And with a Sissy Officer Foundation, 99 point whatever, go yeah. right to the officers. Well, and yeah, Kent and I aren't becoming fat cats over here, Rich. No. Doing this. No. Doing this. 
and, and that's why I support it. Kent, no, I'm sorry. Kent just looked surprised. I, yeah, no, there, is a check, there, there is a check coming. Yeah, check, check still in the mail, right? Yeah. You told me. Yeah. It's, I'll give you an IOU, which is just as good. It's just as good as, as money. Yes. Yeah. So now that you have us here cornered, and I asked Chris White the same thing, uh, what do you? What would you like to see us do, or what would you like to see us hit on with this, with this, uh, this platform? Quite honestly, I think you, the the quality of the product has also been a deterrent for me starting my own because your intro music and Kennedy Danny does a phenomenal job, obviously, of editing and the outro. It just so well done. Um, but I really hope, or maybe in future episodes, I know you don't want to be salesy, but you know, putting the website out there and and tying everything back to assist the officer foundation and what it does for officers, and that because it also ties into the officer wellness unit, the owl unit. And, and I just think, you know, if people are listening to this and they like what you're doing and they want to support it, you know, you never know. Someone might open their wallet and and because the funds that are being spent for the assisting officer foundation, as you guys can all gather, I no longer live in Texas. I do not have the look at the books, but I do know from talking to you, Joe, that the costs here in the Dallas Police Department since 7-7 and since the stigma has been thankfully removed for the most part, or we're still fighting that battle on, on seeking mental health services, that the costs have gone up. And I don't ever want there to be a scenario, if I can help it, to where an officer raises their hand, says they need help, and we don't have the funds to get it to them. Because I can tell you personally, as a former officer, I've raised my hand privately trying to get help with counseling and didn't get a call back. And I eventually just said, screw it, you know, for 200 bucks an hour, I don't even need that. I'm fine. Yeah. You know? Well, yes. So that is, yeah, I, I've had actually other people say, well, you need to work in where to go donate. And, and sometimes I try to, and that's the reason we started up doing the message from the host, because it basically is like, a, you know, and that's why I do so much on the, uh, on the social medias, the Facebook and the Instagram. And I don't tweet as much. I'm not a big fan of Twitter, Me neither. but but that that is another that that gets more eyes and i get it but sometimes in the flow of a story i don't want to have somebody talking about a you know a, a, a horrific and gut-wrenching story and then at the end um oh, god i'm sorry you went through that by the way go to atodallas.org atodallas.org no, and ch- click the donate but i mean no i, I it, it is a really it's something I juggle mentally all the time because this podcast is for the foundation and this podcast and, and, and we are a nonprofit nonprofits existence is to raise money for their mission. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. And, and yes, the book, I, the book, I see the books all the time and I see the numbers all the time. We're like up almost a hundred percent from 2021, 2022, what we spent. And so far here in 2023 through, you know, not even five months, man, it's, it's a, uh, it's, ve- and I think, I just had to speak to a sergeant school the other day and really the doing this wellness unit, doing the podcast. And, and one of the missions of the podcast was to everybody wants to use bumper sticker sayings of break the stigma or it's okay to not be okay. And and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Those are, those are great sayings, but you, this softening the conversation by having stories and, and the stories we've had and the people and the experts we've had on and also hearing people struggle and, and, and actually failures and then recovering from failing it, not handling it well as a professional and as a police officer, uh, physically and mentally, I think softening a conversation is, is what I, I am most proud of. And I think having, and now coming in with a wellness unit to further that education and to push a, I'm going to push a narrative. Mm-hmm. This is a narrative I'm pushing. Yeah. So it is softening a conversation, and naturally the expenses are going to go up for the counseling. And that's what we want. 
But yes, you're right. We need to we need to push that more. Yeah, we've we've talked about it. Well, yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. it's something we've we've all discussed. But it almost you don't want to cheapen what we're doing here. Yeah. That, that's the way it feels. Is it would be uh, it would come off as really just inappropriate. I think to to tack onto somebody else's message and ask for for donations at yeah, that point. Yeah, sometimes but, yeah, and that and that's the I don't want to mess up the integrity of the story or the respect or, or and I, and I've not had anybody on that I don't think would just be like, oh God, he's he, you know he's disrespecting me by asking for money on the hill because because the people that have come on. You know, I, I believe they have the same mission to want to tell their story. They want somebody to get help from it, mm-hmm. or learn from it, or just be educated, or become a better person. They may not even be struggling mental; just be better, or look at something from a different perspective. Uh, but it is a very fine line. And some people I know don't have a problem. I, I listen to some podcasts. People are at the very end. Yeah, go ahead and go like us and give us a good five star review. And if you don't give f off, if you don't want to give us a five star. You know, I I don't. You know, I've asked like one time. Hey guys. Because when you get all these reviews and when you get all these followers and when you get more engagement, that can only increase the chance that you might get a donation or, you know, or you, you, you get bumped up in the ratings. And, and when people go search podcasts and stuff, they can find they can find you a little bit better in whatever category you're in if you have different more ratings and, and engagements. I get it. But it is it is really sometimes I really struggle with shoehorning in a a i don't know i don't know just a an advertisement an advertisement yeah you feel because you're asking for money which feels uncomfortable i yeah. think uh, and i totally understand where you're getting so just spitballing here mm-hmm. and and being what i'm at now i would challenge you to maybe uh it's just like when well, i'm in the financial services industry now and if you truly believe that somebody needs your help your advice your what have you then you need to you challenge yourself to say, I'm not harming, I'm not, I'm not cheapening anything. You need to know this and, and my information that I'm going to help you with is going to help you in the long run and prevent heartache down the road. So I would just try to challenge you to figure out a way to, to figure out that the message and what ATO does as a foundation and the point of this podcast is to help serve officers and provide the services they need when they need it my first intuition is maybe some sort of message at the very end, at the end of the outro separate and away from the story. So you're not taking away from the story of the officer, the person that you had on the podcast, but a little blurb at the end saying, Hey, if you want to support the mission, the podcast, whatever, ATO.org, there's a donate button, a hundred percent of the proceeds go to whatever. So that's my idea. You asked, so I told you. No, no, no. I'm glad you, no, <laughs> no, I, I, I value it. And no, I get, I've, I've had other people, uh, including other people within the board and then, some people that just like to look from afar and and, and chime in, yeah. you know. But it, it it is a it's something I wrestle with as sure. it, and and because I'm not a professional cre- creator, you yeah, know. And, I get uh, it. So I think the listeners should go ahead and send in messages to Joe because number one, he loves getting any sort of message. Yeah. But also let him know how you think we could tie this in there if yeah. uh, if it would turn you on or not. Yeah. 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 Well, ato bridging at gmail dot com. Ato bridging at gmail dot com. Yeah. Text him at two one. Edit that out. <laughs> I mean, I'm just one of those people that if I'm going to do something, and if in along the way I can do something good to help others and kill two birds with one stone, I guess you could call me an efficiency freak. I, you know, I say do it, and and so that's just my. I want to be on this podcast, not for me. I wish you could remove my name and everything from it, and that's you know even too late. Like, yeah, I know. I I just like to be the guy behind the, the 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 proverbial wall or the sheet that you don't know what's going on, but helping. But that's me. If I if the one thing I could do is just 
Just the guy in the YouTube. corner. Just the guy in the corner, man. Just yeah. the guy. We're in the, <laughs> That's me Mar- in the corner. The guy in the corner wearing the Mardi Gras mask. Is yeah. Just hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'll get off that topic. <laughs> okay. But I want to I kind of – Kent's about to fall out. It, I want to – I want to kind of ask, get into, wrap it up, but I want to get into what you're doing now, what your mission is now. Yeah. So right now I just kind of mentioned I'm in finance now. I'm actually in the process of starting my own company, Wood Financial Consulting. Um, my my big dream and my real why and my what motivates me now is the future going forward. So I've been in finance already for a few years, but I work with a company um, that's in San Diego. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm starting a, a comprehensive financial practice. And that, when I say comprehensive, I mean everything from budgeting and, you know, the Dave Ramsey, like get out of debt and manage your checkbook and, and, you know, that kind of deal all the way to, I'm in the process of getting securities licensed right now, which is very arduous and tough process. And it's very tough to pass these courses and whatnot. So I want to be able to help someone from, I don't, I need to manage my budget better and manage my life better all the way to retirement and helping you make sure that your retirement years are the best. But where that where my real true passion comes in and where I want to focus on is working with police officers because I know from personal experience that we are horrible as a profession at spending more than living outside of our means. And looking back, and it's funny because I talked about when I was in narcotics, I thought I had my dream job and I was super happy and blah, blah, blah. But really, I wasn't happy when I was not where with my friends, family, doing the things I wanted to do, not at work, working those extra jobs. So I had a kind of an aha light bulb moment, like, man, maybe if I go work with cops who I know have this issue of spending more than they should and living outside their means. And I also know that their pensions and things like that are obviously problematic and things aren't getting better on that realm of, 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 uh, things for the police, the profession as a whole. So that's like, that was just my aha moment. So, but I also think there's a huge mental health component to your finances and your budgets, where if you have your house in order, financial house in order, you don't have to work as many extra jobs. You can be home more with your kids or do have more time to, to, to spend time doing your hobbies, going fishing or being away from work and doing the things that you um, are more passionate about aside from being at work. So, uh, that's where I'm headed right now. And I even see it potentially getting to a point where I start recruiting some people that are like myself that are former law enforcement officers that want to come and work with me, uh, and either get securities license and start advising people or doing the debt, uh, you know, personal budget. So I don't know how that's all going to go, but I do hope that it involves Dallas. And I also hope to take a big portion of my business and start a, a charitable nexus of it and of course the shockingly enough who do you think the beneficiary will likely be the assisty officer foundation so i just want to continue to um, come back and give back to a department that gave me so much um, as much as we all mumble and groan about the department and the city's going to screw us over and this and that and all that there's great people here it's a great organization and i am nothing but I, as much as the fact that i left i'm still thankful for every uh, shifter that i had here and i had a phenomenal career and the people are amazing, and I just want to come back and keep giving back to them, making sure that um, their financial side of their life is is in order. And not specific to Dallas. Of course, I live in Kentucky, so I'll have a practice up there. But that's kind of where my dream is. I want to come back and still be uh, in the fold here and giving back to the Sissy Officer Foundation and, and ultimately helping people and helping you know, it's just I think it's the service aspect of, of law enforcement that once it's in your blood, it never gets out, so... So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, it's it's kind of still a work in progress, but um, that is what my 
passion is now. I've been in finance for just over two years now. And uh, yeah, once I get securities licensed, it's pretty much uh, all ahead full. I'm going to do everything I can to help as many people get their financial stuff in order and, you know, all the way through retirement. And um, no doubt you'll be successful in that, Chris. You've, you've, uh, you've always been the, the servant. You've always enjoyed helping other people. And I think this is a great way for you to continue to do that. I hope so. It's cool. And and hopefully, you know, using that, the financial aspect of it, but being wise and, and good with it to do good with it with in terms of assist the officer, you know, make a, make that charitable, charitable aspect of your business. It just gives you more motivation. So I appreciate that, but it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Like you say, when you run this podcast, when you get those messages and you get those messages of like affirmation where you're like, Oh, hey, you this helped me or whatever. There's just no better feeling. So you know, I'm not a cop anymore and I can't go and chase murder suspects anymore. But if I can help you financially and give you peace and make your life more enjoyable and you get to be with your wife and kids or husband and, and do those things more then I'm, I'm, that's a cool thing for me to, to lean into. And I'm looking forward to doing that for the next 20 to 30 years. So, and, uh, maybe run a podcast. I'll, I'll start a podcast, Joe, eventually if I have the time. So that's what ultimately has been keeping me besides how awesome this podcast is. I, uh, I don't have, my dad just retired. So, and he's a very uh, tech savvy person, so I could probably get him to edit for me. So, um, we'll, we'll see if I end up having a podcast, although I, I do intend to potentially have a podcast that's financial related, but I could also then quickly, uh, you know, do a police officer one related to the page, I guess as well. So we'll see. Well, I look forward to that. Finally, <laughs> and I'll help you out. You know, I'm not an expert, but I'll I'll help in any way as far as even of course, ed, you know, the uh, advice on the editing, the you know, and the prom- you got the promotion down, so you, it'll be good. I have that part down. I'm just one of those people that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to make a plan, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it right. And so I can't do some j- like janky, you know, half attempted podcast. Yeah, I, I just don't approach no. anything in my life. I like almost that. feel attacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he almost, he, he, he kind of mouthed like yours. Yeah. Jan- janky like <laughs> yeah. No, I mean you got but see, you know, and that's a thing though, but just like my page, my page evolved, right? It started out yeah. as a blog and then it, uh, and it and that's just normal life. But but it, but there's a lot that goes into podcasts and I think for me the biggest deterrent is the time, right? So you gotta sit we've been talking this has been a three hour ordeal, right? Mm-hmm. And sitting down talking and your technology change challenges that you've had. Yeah we've had some techno yeah technology yeah. issues typical with this. yeah typical chris wood luck uh yeah. the, the computer keeps freezing like so walking talking monkey wrench walk in and <laughs> jack up my yeah, no kidding <laughs> you're like are you leaving when not, are you leaving yeah it's not Screw the first time this happened yeah so but anyway we'll, we'll see we'll i'll get to that but yeah no, i'm really looking forward to the future and um i just really hope that dallas is a big part of it and obviously i have a network of friends and family so if i can be down here for business reasons and then of course have fun too all the better and then you know help assist the officer along the way and it's just a no-brainer for me. Chris, thank you so much for your service. Uh, thank you for your friendship. And thank you for your feedback. You give me honest, open feedback, and and I really, I really am grateful for all of it. And you're always welcome back on this mic. Uh, this is your second time, and um, and I look forward to working with you on anything you can do, whether it's even if it's not helping uh, the ATO or if you're starting up a podcast. I, I'm definitely going to be listening and. You and I, um, I would imagine we're always going to be in contact. Thank you so much. Thank you. I look forward to it. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, mister. I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far.
leaves you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder, together we'll run Up from the bottom, yeah, we'll rise above Hey brother, hey sister, I'll never give up on you is a mister I'll see this all the way Never give up on me. 